Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. That's right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. I am Jeff Howe. We're talking a Texas victory this week on the show. Going to break down a 42-27 win over Kansas and look ahead to a pivotal game. The 11th game of the season as Texas looks to get a victory over West Virginia as we head down the home stretch here of the 2017 season. Year one of the Tom Herman era. We'll break it all down on this week's show. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire. No longer the man behind the glass, mm. but the man who sits right across from me, <laughs> Matt Butler. Matt, any thoughts on the uh, game Saturday, the upcoming game, or anything else going on? That first quarter, I was just like, man, I hope it doesn't keep going like this all the way because it was real good, but then you're like, where's the defense? But then you realize, well, it's Kansas. You're going to be all right. But it still was just one of those games that you just get to see some scoring and get to see it end, and then you're like, all right, we didn't lose to Kansas, and that's about it. (laughs) The only satisfaction you take out of that. Yeah. That's the great way to bottom line uh, Saturday. A man who, while he was on the 40 Acres, never lost to Kansas. Never came close. Uh, actually, unless you're a member of the 2016 Texas team, you can say that. If yeah, you but hey, man, some of those Kansas teams, Mangino era, were some tough Kansas teams. Oh, now. some of those Talib teams? <laughs> yeah, come on now. Texas did not have to face the 2007 Kansas team, yeah. which was, think about that, guys, 10 hey. years ago. Ten yeah, years ago, it. Kansas was eleven and one and won the Orange. Hey, Todd and Reesing. Missouri, Missouri, I believe, was also a double-digit win team. That was the Big Twelve at its best, at its apex. Think about that. Texas was great. This is two thousand eight. Two thousand ten. Think about yeah. that two thousand seventeen. Two thousand seventeen. That Mac hated. That was ten and three. Yeah, exactly. That had uh, it. It really. Yeah. Ten and three was underachieving for that team when you consider the talent that was on. That's that crazy. Team. That might have been the best year in the Big Twelve. I know two thousand eight was good too, but two thousand seven, considering Kansas was like good and yeah. Texas, there was a double-digit. Missouri was number one in the country going into the Big 12 championship. Yeah, I don't know what Oklahoma was, but I'm sure they were pretty good. Did they win the conference that year? They, they won probably... the conference. They beat so, Missouri yeah, in the Big 12 think about the Big 12 yeah. at that point, man. And then Texas Tech the next year. So, I got to think, look at Texas Tech's record in 2007. But, man, the Big 12 was at its best 2007 and 2008, that two-year yeah, period. Yeah, because you even had, like, the Jordy Nelson team right? that I mean, year K-State, up in K-State. Dude, and yeah, that was, the... If it was like, oh, the Big 12 was really good this year. The Big 12 compared to then, mm-hmm. man, it ain't it, – it's not – It's Texas, funny looking back now because, like, at the time – Close to being a double-digit win team. That was the Big 12 at its best. It might have been 2007. I know I'd say that's crazy, but that might have been the most parody-driven year in the history of the Big 12. Because even in 08, though, you still had Reesing. You still had Chase Daniels. You True. still had all those North that's teams over there. And then you had the teams in the South. And just weird when you look, it's still another Lake Travis quarterback in the middle of everything. Now, like, mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield was in middle school mm-hmm. after Reesing was on that Kansas team, leading them with Gilbert in high school and Lake Michael Brewer Travis, and West Charlie Brewer. Like, these You're are right. all quarterbacks. That from we've Central seen Texas. come up through from one high school, like literally, I just named the five that all replaced one another. Of yeah, the, of the but, five, I mean, there's none in between that weren't. Yeah. They're all the one right. guys. Rod, to your point, of the five teams in the Big Twelve South that year, 
of the six teams in the Big 12 South. Five of them won seven or more games. Oklahoma won 11, Texas won 10, Texas Tech won nine, Oklahoma State and A&M each won seven. That was Dennis Francione's last year at yeah. A&M. Yeah, that yeah, was man. when they beat Texas and then fired no, he quit. He quit Fran, before Fran, he could fire me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. He quit before they could fire him. That was smart, man. That's how you know. Yes, that was good stuff. <laughs> I talked to uh, sports writers who covered that deal. It was really weird. It was really like the scorn, like middle school girlfriend. Like, oh, yeah, you're going to break up with me? I'm breaking up with you exactly. first. <laughs> no, I still remember exactly like producing the game and having Marconi what? come. He's like, man, Francione's going to quit. And I was like, what? And he was like, yep, turn on the TV, boom, he's quit. Like, he didn't even have oh, a post-game man. press conference. It was like, uh, nope. he's just he just handed in his resignation. He's done. I quit. He ended the game on the field, basically. He and walked I, off and quit. So I, no, I just wondered, like, what's going through your head during the game? How do you go to the game <laughs> and then quit right after? I mean, but for, uh, the head, for the head coach at A&M to, like, beat Texas, it should be – like some kind of exuberant deal. And all Francione's thinking, all right, how quick can I get that resignation letter handed in? <laughs> it was like the polarizing version of what happened at LSU last year where you're fired and then you go oh, out there man. and win and you keep your job as being carried off the field like Les did. Oh, geez. Um, all right. Well, we got to talk. It was, it's fun to think about 2007, which, Rod, as you said, might have been the Big 12 at its apex. No but uh, the Big 12 is definitely not at an apex right now, uh, especially because Kansas is awful. Um <laughs> Uh, let's start. We'll get into West Virginia, and there's a lot to break down uh, with that game. By the way, let me finish the introduction here. I totally forgot. Uh, he is the Renaissance man on our show, Lifetime Longhorn, our lockdown corner here on the show. 2002 UTL American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Of the CFL, when he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas, under 40 acres where he earned his degree. If he had a T-ring, he would wear it proudly. He's a <laughs> card-carrying member of DBU, number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. And, Rod, that's how good you are because we had to have a whole – we had to wax poetic on the 2007 Big 12 season. Oh, uh, man. I, 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 before, yeah, we I, finish, before we finish the intro. Exactly. And we like to go through the intro because we always have you know new listeners, first-time listeners. Man. It makes me feel good. I feel like, I feel like uh, you know, if I was like a Ric Flair or somebody, I thought I would get intro. Speaking you know I mean? of which, before we move on to the game, oh, yeah, have you given it. your blackbuster review on the Ric Flair 30 for 30 yet? Uh, yes, I, I did it today. By the after. way, the Rodcast you know, every day, 1 it, yeah. to 3 on uh, 104.9 The Horn. That was like one, one of the FM. first things my brother asked me was like, did you talk to Jeff about the Flair? And I was like, that was like the night after, so we hadn't got to talk about it yeah but yeah he even asked me that was, yeah so yeah give me your opinion i on thought it, it was really good yeah. i just felt like it was uh it was awesome. an hour and a half an hour and a half can't do justice to no kind of the legend and the legacy 90 of minutes Flair. is not doing yeah. um i felt like it was really good but it was really trying to tell two different stories that i felt like had you just focused on one you could have filled up a really good show i felt like it was trying to focus on his actual career and the different Storyline arcs that touch. Yeah, it didn't go deep enough into like yeah, no, the rivalry no. with Dusty Rhodes or the but, rivalry but, with Ricky Steamboat. But it was about Hulk Hogan. Rick Flair. Is Rick this, you, Flair. You're, you're saying that because you are uh, such a true wrestling fan. It was yeah. It it was for it was not for you. Right. Right. That yeah. was for the I don't know the because I, I thought two thirds the two thirds of America who are not like wrestling freaks right. like you and I who haven't heard the stories and researched them and set on freaking YouTube and. You know what I mean? And looking up stuff like that. Yeah. And so the, everybody else. With I the think, story. So I agree with you as a wrestling freak. I'm with you. I, it, I, didn't, I, didn't, get a, I didn't get enough. Right. It was good, but I felt I like it was, it was trying to tell 
two yeah. different stories. And I felt like as good as it was, it could have been better had you just focused on one of those avenues. Yeah, it was like a of, wine tasting or a beer yeah, tasting. Yeah, you got a lot of different and it seems, Hey, man, just give him a beer that I like the most and let's get down. Yeah, I With him, yeah. It's a, though, it seemed like those uh, two stories that you're talking about, they merged together because his life was that one story, which yeah. is how I think they probably normally when you go into doing something like that, a documentary, you aren't yeah. going in with a preconceived motive as to what you want to do. You go in to document and then it tells its story and it's probably started as a wrestling thing. And then the guy's like, my God, Ric Flair is literally Ric Flair. That's him and his personality yeah. and what he wanted to be. And like that story, that, that was really well told. I thought that's why Rod is it, it's interesting though. And you can, uh, that's why I'm glad we have you as, as part of this show. It's why I'm glad you're, we're all one big family here. Uh, cause you can understand this as, as an athlete who played your respective sport at the highest level. You can't replicate. And this is why it's so hard for wrestlers and people. You know, you always hear like the seedy, dark side stories yeah, of wrestling. No question. That's why it's hard for guys to retire because. Oh yeah. What are you gonna do when you're? Not, I've heard Steve Austin talk about this. Yeah, I've heard Ric Flair talk about this. What are you ever gonna do again in your life? Where when your music plays or your name gets mentioned, yeah. that a crowd of eighty thousand people just pop and Lose it's a their thunderous applause. Yeah, yeah, and you can't. There's nothing you're gonna find in your life that's gonna be able to give you that. Exactly, and, and that's it's hard what, to walk away from that. That's what it very, is. very for any, few, for any for any athlete and I, and a Ric Flair and wrestlers are athletes. Very yeah. few wrestlers stay retired. I, mean, I think Terry Funk's retired like 917 times or something. I don't know how many. It what is, is the what it is? It is the it is the addiction to fame. It yeah. is an addiction well, like any other thing. You can be addicted to anything. Trust me, I've been addicted to plenty of things. Uh, but you can and 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 you hopefully don't want it to become something self destructive. But you're addicted to that fame. That's why uh, stars in Hollywood they can't give it up. That's why we have great reality TV shows of all these stars in their past years who can't give it up. Whether it be like celebrity rehab or dancing with the stars. Mm. Who's on Dancing with the Stars now? C-list and D-list celebrities. Why? Because they're so hungry for the fame. They just they just love the approval and the applause. And like and I, I was say, yeah, you cannot replicate that. Everything else mm. you can get. You can get the money. You can get the relationships. You can get the camaraderie. You can get the um, you know the exhilaration of being a successful person or accomplishing a goal. You cannot replace like a rapper or a singer or anybody else. Eighty thousand people cheering you on. It does not happen. There's nothing in your life that yep. can ever do it. I even having kids and getting married. Sorry, it, it, that's what Ric Flair told you. It don't replace it, man. Like that was a great. He was addicted to that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was. They, you know, he talked about him drinking a lot of alcohol and all this kind of stuff. I don't know if he was ever really addicted to it. You know what I mean? Like he he did it every damn day, but he didn't. I mean, I don't think it necessarily ruined his life. He was just addicted to the fame. Some of, that, was a, some of the drinking is self medicating too. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. you know what I mean. So I think the addiction for him, but that addiction, and addiction is bad of, of any kind because it led to him obviously having a bad relationship with his. With some of his kids and with his wives and different things like that, but you know, I mean, that's just that's what addiction is. It's yep. just it's not always good. And when you see him, and especially the way that when you burst on the scene from how he, especially when you bring his childhood in and being an orphan and not maybe getting the appreciation the that he wanted, that yeah. then when you get something like you were saying on the front end, just any athlete or any player, when somebody you have success, it's great, and you want more success, it's only good, and you mm-hmm. want fame, and you yeah. want all this, and then the first day you go out there, and you're like, that's amazing, and then the next day you got to wake up and. 
well, how, well I got to do it again. And then again. if you and literally if that becomes your baseline and then every day it's, it's like you you're know. chasing a high in it's theory you know. and it isn't even it's just yeah. because you're, even if you're trying to do your best job and be successful, you still can be motivated and addicted to something like you were saying, a good vice or a bad vice. It all depends where it leads you. And he was the type of guy that personality wise, he just fed off of it. You know? Rod, you're, you're about 10 years removed from your playing days now, yeah. about a decade out. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to despair your pro career but was it a little bit easier for you to kind of let go of the game knowing that like the league kind of pushed you out whereas if you're uh if you're a Jerry Rice or or Adrian Peterson and you're just figuring out okay how much longer can I hang on no I'm not ready to even a Vince Young yeah you can't tell me I mean look at a Vince Young I mean Vince Young probably in a lot of respects it's probably more hurtful for him than it is for a guy like Adrian Peterson or Jerry Rice, because at least you look at what they accomplished, and there are people saying that guy is one of the greatest. He's one of the goats. Right, okay. For a guy like I Vince you. Young, who was accustomed, who knew that he could play, who knew mm-hmm. that he could play on that level, and knew that he could be successful, and yet his own vices, his own demons, along with the NFL pushing him out. Mm-hmm. I mean that. I, I I think he, you know, I think he might have a more, um, you know, regrettable experience than even myself, but. Like I said, I, I was never on that level. I was never drafted in the first round. That's what drafted right. the first I mean, think about the expectation level for all those guys mm-hmm. and then the, how much the fans love them as opposed to somebody just loves somebody who was drafted in the fourth round like me. I mean, so it's, it, there are levels to addiction. Yeah. There are levels to it. So I think the addiction level for those guys obviously is more than myself. But I, I know that addiction, the uh, addiction to fame. And I, not that I was really famous, but uh, you just you, you miss that. You don't get that experience, that existential experience of being on a field and people – 50,000 people cheering you on. You just don't get it anywhere else. It won't happen for anybody else. Some people never get your experience. Right. Um, is, that, is that how you end up with the Austin Wranglers? Uh, that's how you end up with the Austin Wranglers, sir. That is, or the Canadian Football League. Mm-hmm. Chasing Hell, that high. Vince was just up there. Like, yeah. hey, Chasing the dragon, brother. That's what, you know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever it is. I know, that's like it's a heroin reference, I believe. Yes. I'm not sure. And, and, and as we talked about, there's a reason why we don't like. reference Rod's uh, Rod's Arena League career on the show ever. Nor nor should you. Well, that's a great memory. No, nah, man. Tackled by Ricky Williams. All right. Man. Hey, nothing wrong with that, man. That's part of the experience. Like that's you know that's part of the experience. What I tell guys, hey, don't you don't want to be that guy. Right. You don't want to have that moment in the Arena League. Have that moment like when you figure out, you know when it is. I mean, most guys are delusional about it and they try to deny it, but you know when it's happening. You yeah. feel it. You know, they don't want you in their yeah. league anymore. Colin Kaepernick, they don't want you in their league anymore. You know what I mean? Like you, and whether it's fair or unfair, as yeah, no, exactly. right. Life ain't fair. If you're teaching your kids life is fair, you're doing them a disservice. Don't do it. It ain't fair. Yeah. It's, uh, Think about fair the chance. Advice. Like when we look at players and we they all get drafted, and we always will just say, "Oh, that guy he made it or he's a bust." And then like when we're close to a degree like this, where we see like the Jeff Fisher effect and a guy like Vince, and you don't you always wonder, the Johnny Manziel, but the think Tim about Tebow's. the 250 every single year that are drafted yeah. and what positions they go to. In what situations, uh, what's fair, what's yeah. not fair. An injury happens there. So, boom, boom, like, there's so many varying degrees on the spectrum of how the result can end up playing out, and they're all individualized. It's, all right, we'll uh, we'll go down memory lane another time. Rod, <laughs> that's an off-season project I need from you. Like, you uh, need to just kind of pluck some of your best Canada stories. We've, we've heard all your a lot of your good Man. NFL stories, like handing out Jerry Rice and Maurice Claret. Yeah. And, what an a-hole Warren Sapp was. Yeah. Uh, some good stuff. But, you know, I, there's got to be some interesting stories from your I, time in I, so Canada. This came full circle. I was watching Dominique Foxworth on ESPN. He always yeah. co-hosts in, on Levitard's show, and I love <laughs> that show. And he started talking about that 
07 DB room in Denver and was talking about going yeah. out with yeah. Jerry Rice yeah. and talking about yeah. this. I was yeah. like, these are Rod's stories, and this was the guy they drafted that yeah. Rod was talking I was, about. Yeah. I was in practice with Dominique Foxwood. They had really good DBs. They had the, uh, what's the kid from Oklahoma State that died? Darren Williams. Williams was in that DB room. Yeah, he was really good. He was starting along with Champagne. It was so weird hearing these stories, and they were just like you said, like, God, Jerry Rice was cool. Oh, no, it was great, man. He still was had a cornrows. He was going out to the club. He was like, Lenny Williams was the other corner. Remember Long Lenny Williams? Long Lenny, I love that. I think he was long. I think he was from like Texas too. I want to say Lenny. If, if I, maybe I got the name wrong. Was it Lenny Williams? I had to look him up. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm right about that. I think he played football like uh, somehow as a connection to the state of Texas. I don't know how, but anyway, yeah, I remember that DB. But anyway, you talk about Canada stories. I believe I was up there with Tay Cody. Tay Cody and I hung Florida out a lot. State Seminole. Tay Ooh. Cody. Yeah, Tay Cody. I hung out with him a lot. Torrance Marshall, I believe, was up there, if I'm not mistaken. Former Oklahoma From City. Oklahoma playing linebacker with us. Oh, dude, it was, a, it, was a, it was a weird cast of characters that I ended up kicking it with that those times. But Kwame was up there, too, which was good. I had fun hanging out with Kwame. I, you pull up Tay Cody's Wikipedia page, and there it is. Hamilton Tiger Cats, yeah. 2006 to 2008. Yeah. hmm Yeah. I love Tay Cody. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a weird mix of characters, dude. I remember a lot of those stories. That was a weird time. It was almost like a fog, actually, yeah. up there. <laughs> it was surreal. It felt like it wasn't, it wasn't actually a real experience. Some anyway. of us, that fog is uh, college waking up with a stack of Natty Light cans on one side of you and a stack of Taco Bell burritos on it, the other. And yeah, it's not that much football. different in Canada, I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> we were it was just the same. <laughs> Sounds like a Texas tailgate. <laughs> right. Only Ooh. only far less classy. Um oh, and I'm man. talking about my burrito story and Rod's CFL experience. Anyway, mm-hmm. um I hope everybody got to tailgate this weekend and enjoy a Texas victory. Yep, that was uh, fun. Because the next two games there is no guarantee for a victory like there was with this one. Texas beats Kansas 42-27. And Rod, I guess we'll start with the bottom line like Matt said earlier. Let's do it. At least you didn't lose. You didn't lose. And I don't know. I, I'll be honest. I saw some things on offense, and maybe because my standards are now so very low for this mm. offense because I know what they are. You have standards They're, for this offense? I do. I have standards. They're okay. really, really low for this offense. <laughs> and I know what this offense is. All right, I know that the offensive line is one of the worst in decades. I know that the, the offensive backfield doesn't have any dynamic playmakers. I know the quarterback situation is always in flux because of the, the health and the status physically of these quarterbacks. And the wide receivers are inconsistent, talented, but inconsistent. So those those things have remained true and rang true. All Other than that, Mrs. Season. Lincoln, how was the play? Exactly. So my thing is my standards are low. So right now I'm looking for the, like I said, the Theobacillus. I'm looking for the smallest, most microscopic signs of life. And I found them versus Kansas. Now it was Kansas. There are a lot of things they did that I like. And some things we talked about on this show. And a lot of you guys listening have brought them up to us via social media. We appreciate it. Uh, I mean, Simon Kirkman brought them up. That, yeah, first of all, I love the fact that they l- use Lil Jordan Humphrey in the Wildcat. Well, we've been saying they should do it. They should, and you know what? They're still underutilizing Lil Jordan Humphrey. They're still not weaponizing him enough. That guy should be uh, used all over the field. Wide receiver, slot. You should use him at tight end, H-back, in the backfield, at running back, in the Wildcat. You should use him all over the field. Mm-hmm. You're misusing him or underutilizing underutilizing him, I should say. Uh, I like the fact they threw the deep ball early. What have we been saying on the show? Throw the deep ball early. Just go out there and just freaking chunk it early. Who gives a damn? If you complete it, great. If P.I., great. If they incomplete it, they'll think about it later. He plans to seed. So he had to play action, and they threw it deep early. Oh, that was great. And I saw the tweet that you put out there, Jeff, before the game. They moved Chris Warren to H-back. You know what? I thought that was fantastic. You want to know why? Because he's one of your best offensive players. So what offensive coordinators have to do when you're a best offensive player who is 
a downhill runner. It doesn't really fit your scheme because you're doing a lot of read option. And Daniel Young and Tony O'Connor fit it better because they have a quicker first step. Don't waste them. Don't just put them on a the sideline. Hey, move them to a different position. How about you do that? Try to fit his skill set in, in some other way. And they use them in the Wildcat on the goal line. How about that? 250-pound running back on the goal line, running downhill in the Wildcat, which is what he's custom to do. Oh, man. It just, it, I saw some things that I really liked. I, that's, that's, that's all I'm saying. Like, I... I saw some things that I've been we've been preaching for on the show, and I think it helped him offensively. But it was versus Kansas. Yeah, it was good to see, especially like you were saying with the little Jordan Humphrey thing, where you actually had Ellinger available, but now maybe having a conscious effort to use other pieces to manufacture a run game instead of like when you needed to use the QB run for the extra blocker. Now you aren't running your quarterback head first into that. You're implementing Which they still other did, ways. By the way. True, but not as many times as they were <laughs> exactly. before. So like at least like you're saying, you're seeing in the better areas at least some new ideas, which is good to have. And then at least I mean even the offensive line now it's Kansas so I guess I can't take too much from it but it wasn't glaring mistakes at times you didn't see guys just running through the line open so that's at least good and then now like you said it's pretty amazing to see that Connor Williams able to come back so quick but be able to have somebody on the line going forward that may be able to have some growth up front for the last couple games yeah um I want to come back to the offense uh because I want to break that down a little bit the the defense is more palatable to talk about it's a little bit easier to break down their uh, their issues and Rod, to me... Well, their issues are simple. Yeah, I I look at this defense, and I didn't expect them to miss Holton Hill as much as they do until you Mm -hmm. start looking at the totality of it throughout the game. And you're facing an air raid team. Granted, it's Kansas, but they're still an air raid offense, and they use air raid principles. And you're missing your best open field tackler in the secondary. Maybe your best open field tackler on the entire defense. Best cover man in that secondary. Your, Your best cover guy. And something you brought up for years on this show, Rod, that Texas had with Holton Hill. The luxury that having a legitimate shutdown corner brings to a defense, where mm. you know where you no longer have the luxury of being able to help other guys roll coverage to the other side of the field or mm-hmm. do a split coverage or whatever it is you want to do, or even tell your safety, hey, hey, in this coverage we've already talked about in the film session, don't worry about hope. Right. You need to focus on, especially if this James Washington's over here or somebody like that. You key on this right, so your keys change up too when mm-hmm. you lose your shutdown corners of safety. Yep. So all that's out the window now. Which and might have made Deshaun Elliott a lot more successful at making those plays because he doesn't have to worry about holding on the other oh, side. Oh, and be more aggressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you have those Earl Thomases, you make your mm-hmm. DBs so good. Very same idea. And, it, and it's twofold. We're seeing also, you know, people have been like, why don't you bench Chris Boyd and put Devontae Davis in? Now we're starting to realize why Devontae Davis yeah. hasn't played much this year. That's a great point. So you combine all those issues, and I do like the fact, Rod, that this defense was able to kind of compensate. And, and and I'll give the defense a pass from this standpoint. In this league, even against the Kansases of the world, it's really hard to expect your defense to show up at an elite level every week in this conference. Agreed. And considering the fact that you held Oklahoma State to 10 points in regulation, the fact that you did well enough to beat Oklahoma, you had a good enough defensive performance that you were in the game against Oklahoma in the fourth quarter, uh, you held off TCU as long as you could mm-hmm. until the dam broke, you faced, you held Iowa State to 10 rushing yards, you faced some of the best offenses in this conference already and done more than your share of the job to carry everybody's water. So I'll get the defensive pass from that standpoint. But when you look at this thing going forward, Rod, I am concerned because I don't think some of these issues, maybe it's getting you know Devontae Davis some reps and whatnot or just kind of figuring out 
what you do. And I guess Kansas is a really good team to kind of figure mm-hmm. out, okay, now Todd Orlando's got film and say, okay, this is what we can do. These coverages are out. We can do this, blah, blah, blah. I'm worried because I think some of the issues we saw against Kansas, that's stuff that's not fixable going week to week against West Virginia. They, this defense now has a vulnerability that teams can expose and attack. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that um, I, it worries me, and I, I brought it up on the show. You know, Todd Orlando's been playing, and I haven't charted it specifically versus Kansas, and I'm meant to do that. I'll do that probably tonight. How many plays that Texas plays on defense in dime coverage or six defensive backs? I believe is above eighty something percent. Yeah, uh, even versus, that's just me estimating versus Kansas, just watching it because um, I saw very little changes in personnel defensively in terms of switching up from that dime, which means Todd Orlando is kind of falling in love with the dime. The dime is your new base personnel for the rest of the season, considering you're going to play West Virginia, pass okay. happy team, and Texas Tech. That's your base personnel. And he's fell in love with it versus, you know, Oklahoma State. He called it that lightning pact where he put Brecken Hager on the D-line and then bring in Gary Johnson, more speed on the field. But he branded versus Oklahoma State, I believe it was, 63% of the time in the dime package. Versus Baylor, they ended up running it 80% of the time. And versus TCU, who is more balanced team, likes to run the football actually as much, if not more, than they pass the football. He only ran it 41% of the time. But it's mostly because they didn't stop the run early all right so if you stop yeah. the run then more that dime plays more because you get the team in passing situations so Tyler Lando would like to play that dime he'd fall in love with it. he actually says recently that he believes now he's figured out a way to use that dime to even stop the run and yeah. that's why I think bringing in Jason Hall was key for him versus uh Kansas because I don't think John Bunny was hurt or anything Not no, that I, I heard. don't think he was yeah I think he actually substituted uh, Jason Hall in there because he wanted a hybrid. He wanted, and you talked about this before the season even started, that you would like to see Jason Hall used as a hybrid. You know what I mean? Right. You and Todd Orlando thinking the same, along the same lines. So, you know what? Maybe I can bring him in. And basically, I'm playing a 3 3 then, depending on the offensive formation. I got three down linemen, I got three linebackers, and I can shift based on if they, on a 50 50 down, if they want to run or throw the ball. So that's why I think versus. You know, West Virginia and Texas Tech, you might see John Bunny back in there because he, he plays him deep. It's kind of a middle field safety. It's weird. Which, as we talked about for rover. years, though, that's a good role for John It Bunny. is a good role. for He's been great in that role, actually. Um, and so, and then Antoine Davis, honestly, you're not missing P.J. Locke that much, which is crazy. I don't know, P.J., yeah. I mean, I think he's going to get his job back. But, hell, man, it's hard to bench somebody. If you're being Two sound, picks, just, a yeah. pick six, and then a fumble recovery. So, I think that dying personnel is going to be key. That's the new base for Texas. And what hurts is when you don't have the shutdown corner mm-hmm. when you're playing six defensive backs. And versus Kansas, you didn't have two of your top five defensive backs because you were missing PJ Locke as well. But when you and so inexperience with Jason Hall and Antoine Davis, I think played a role too. But when you don't have that shutdown corner, as you pointed out, man, that one vulnerability. It can it can totally collapse that secondary, especially. In it's like a seen that. Yeah, exactly. It's like an O line man. One in, vulnerability could collapse the whole with thing. The offensive minds in this league and Doug Meacham's a good coordinator. Oh yeah, he just doesn't have anything to work with mm-hmm. in Kansas. You're gonna have to go against Holgerson next week. Kingsbury to finish the season. Yeah, man. Yeah, if there is even the slightest bit of which there is now. Yeah, of invincibility in that defense. Well, whatever, because now yeah. you have more than one. You used to have Houghton Hill on one side, and you had Deshaun Elliott covering, and you had P.J. Lax. She was like, it all was right, Chris Boyd number, yeah. is inconsistent. But when Chris Boyd's playing at his best, hell, he's actually one of the better corners in the Big 12. The problem is we yeah. don't know what game the good Chris Boyd is going to come out and the bad one. Well, because you can have one high. play that yeah. if he has so, 95% of good plays but two screw-ups, that's two touchdowns, uh, you could lose the game. Exactly. So if Chris Boyd's having a bad day, you can you can compensate for that with the way you play your safeties and the way you roll your coverage because you know you have confidence in Houghton Hill as a shutdown corner. But when you don't have Houghton Hill as a shutdown corner, 
And then you have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde over there with Chris Boyd, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Boyd mm-hmm. over there. All right. Then you just don't know, you know, how teams are going to attack you. And then you're playing, you're kind of playing it straight up. And as a defensive coordinator, playing anything straight up is basically a recipe for disaster in the yeah, Big 12. Yeah, that's the numbers game where they, the Big 12 wants you to be they, in, and then that's the whole yeah. goal of the spread is to be straight up. You know and then I mean? once you're one-on-one, then you take advantage when, of that. Yeah, when you're one-on-one and you got Houghton Hill versus your guy, yeah, then you, that's a win for you. Yes. That's a win. Houghton Hill versus even James Washington. Now it's the mismatch we're trying to get. Exactly. That's the <laughs> exactly. For Texas, you want one-on-ones all across the yes. field, defensively and offensively, because you have better athletes. But – uh, give, Conference give is Cliff Kingsbury and Dana isolate a one-on-one yeah. mismatch. Exactly They'll do right. that all game with and Devontae Davis and Chris. I Boyd just want to throw out yeah. some numbers there from pro, from pro Football Focus. And again, at twenty-four-seven Sports, we've got the partnership with Pro Football Focus, so I've got access to their grades and, and their data. Love Pro Football um, Focus. Holton Hill on the season, Rod, targeted sixty times, two interceptions, six pass breakups, seven forced incomplete passes, and this is to tell you how good of a run defender he is. 18 stops, which Pro Football Focus considers a stop, yeah. a solo tackle that results in an offensive failure. Mm-hmm. Yes. So he, that's – His well, run stops are going to be at the line of scrimmage or behind too. And so, then Chris, wow. so Chris Boyd, Chris Boyd said been targeted 58 times. And Holton Hill has not given up a touchdown according to Pro Football Focus the way they've charted it. Chris Boyd targeted 58 times, allowed three touchdowns, one interception, seven pass breakups, Nine forced incomplete passes and twelve stops. Quite similar, other than the glaring touchdown mistakes. Exactly. Those are the holes. Those we are exactly nine, what we talk about. Nine when we look. forced incomplete passes yeah. and how many solo stops? St- uh, stops twelve. Yeah, that's that's the, almost that's, identical except for yeah, the blown it's assignments. Actually, it's those ninety-five percent of say, plays. Are here's, here's the other, here's the other part. Of that. We talk about the touchdown differential. <laughs> it's just the ch- the shaky syndrome. Shaky boy over there. That's when confidence can become your own enemy. Yeah. At times. Pro Football Focus also charts missed tackles. Oh, that's is good. Three on the year for Holton Hill. Mm-hmm. Twelve for Chris Boyd. There yep. you go. There you go. Mistakes are huge, and you there know, you right when you're talking about wow. the, how successful the dime <laughs> package crazy. is, based. I'm sorry, on, ten for Chris Boyd. Ten. But but that I mean that proves the theory by Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Boyd, or as exactly. I mean Matt calls him, Shocky Boyd. Yes, that's sir. it. He's all over the place. But he's an NFL. He's NFL corner. He's an NFL corner because his ceiling is actually up there with Holton Hills. But he's not as consistent. He's not at the baseline. Mm-hmm. So I mean Matt, the baseline is way lower for Chris Boyd than it is for Holton Hill. Yes. He has a big floor. Brandon yeah. Jones and Chris Boyd both are guys that have oh. had moments where they've been really good this year. But they both have moments where they've been really bad. That's exactly. Right. And, and that's just, the difference between Deshaun Elliott and Houghton Hill. Just, just Elliott had had no bad. When you're consi- always yeah. consistently good and then you excel, you're going to be an All-American. Just but as, those just as glaring we, holes really screw you over. Just as we talk about on offense how a good quarterback can mask a lot of deficiencies, we're seeing now the luxury of a shutdown corner beat it. Because, Rod, That's great point, bro. no disrespect to yourself or Ahmad Brooks or Nathan Vaster, you guys were a much better secondary when Quentin Jammer shutting down half the field. Well, he was a top five corner. And they talk about the it NFL. all the time. Him and so, Rodgers in Hampton, it just works so good when well, you have and like. But how you were talking to start this about how the dime is so integral because of the ability to stop the run, and then it allows you to have the dime. And it reminded me sort of what y'all were able to do with that defensive front in the early two thousands. And if you look at the data right now, Texas power success rate, entire nation number one average. They allow success rate an average defense sixty eight percent of 
of the time on rundowns that you'd be able to convert. Texas, it's only 42.9%. The best in the nation. And then the stuff rate for Texas, normal stuff rate, which is what Jeff was talking about, we're at the line of scrimmage or behind, 19% is national average. Texas, 28% of runs are stuffed at the line or behind. So when you're getting those numbers, when (laughs) you said that, I was like, the data's right here. It's exactly there. It's feeding the other. But now we found out that now the back end may have a couple holes that could be exploited due to losing your best mm-hmm. player but we haven't luckily you got your best time tested against Kansas like that was the best game possible to go out there without Holton Hill and have the repercussions of your bad actions maybe not Agreed. pay for a game the way they did in the other ones when you have a hole or two against a good team I heard you talking about this on your show and it's really weird the way this season has played out because we talk about okay Tom Herman can't run his offense he doesn't have the parts we know this yeah but I don't like the fact that some people are like it's it's an either or thing. Either this thing is garbage and it's not what exactly. we thought it it's was, never. or and or or ah, oh, you're just a curmudgeon, you're a hater, and and this thing is okay. great. Yeah. And you're playing hard. It ain't black it, and you, white. You can have both. It's, yep. it's shades of gray. No question. And the reason why I say it's shades of gray because I go, I look at, I look at my notes and I hear what you said the other day. Do you realize in four of the five games Texas has won, they've held the opponent opponent to under 100 yards rushing. Also on four of their five wins, they ran the ball 40 or more times. Mm-hmm. So it's still, yeah. even though you're it's having a- issues running the football, it's still all about physicality and winning at the line of scrimmage. All those numbers Matt just said, exactly right. the rushing numbers, when yeah. you focus on being Stop a running right. team, when you for this team, when you shorten the game, you run the football, which is what they're going to have to do. It's your formula. Two games. That's yeah. part of your formula. Exactly. That should be thrown into the formula. That's what's upsetting. It's like, well, we're identifying what what wins for you. Like you said, they, I think that the number is when they run the ball at least 40 times, they're 4-0. When they don't, they're 1-4. The only win they have where they didn't run the ball four times, I believe it versus Baylor, if I'm not mistaken. And I'll look into this in you know a second, I mean? but remember a couple years ago when we couldn't believe, why is Texas losing despite getting more yards one per five. play? Sorry. Getting more yards per play, yards, everything per play or per down was good. But Texas just wasn't getting the amount of plays yeah. because we weren't running. And now I would like to see the indicator. I might look into that to see with those when those 40-plus. Is that just because the offense is controlling the ball and going up and down? Or is it because you actually – the run game is sustaining your but success? But think about that. it can be yeah, both. It was, it was Baylor, Rob. They it's Baylor, right? So they, they're 1-5 in five when they they fail to run the ball at least 40 times. Mm-hmm. So and I agree with Matt. I'm sure there's, a, the there's a lot. There's a lot of deeper – like, we you know, we got to get into that stat. That's just a stat you throw out there. doesn't show you everything, but it does show you that mm-hmm. if they there is a formula they can follow so offensively when you're building the game plan you're like hey man we we know we got to run the ball we got a great defense we want to keep them fresh because when they're on the field they dominate hell they even score points for us there's a good chance if they're fresh and they're mm-hmm. those guys are hungry and ferocious on the sideline they're salivating they're gonna go out there and score points that has been proven too so my thing is it's like this offensive staff doesn't know their team yet. It's like, know who you are. Yeah. Why are you trying to act like you're a good offense? I know you suck. You're supposed to know you suck too. And you need to you need to coordinate appropriately to that. And they don't do that. It should you know just be mean? about survival at this point. Yeah, exactly. Just the, the microscopic things that have worked for you, and yet we don't see it. But I did see more of it. Ver- I'm, I'm glad they broke out the RPOs versus Kansas. I'm like, oh, oh nice. Great to break out the, you know, mm-hmm. the goal line with Sam Elliott. Oh, great. Break out the RPOs. Which I love that play, by the way, when the quarterback rides play. out at the mesh point. It and was the, beautiful. The late release by the tight end. Oh, God. End. It, was, it, re- it really was. And that, that was sexual. Like, I, I, yeah. as a, I texted him, I was like, oh, look at that creativity. Yeah. Oh, look at that. I mean, I just thought it was fantastic. That was the best play I've seen Tim Beck call probably all year long. It's funny, it's though. Great. I mean, still in the NFL 
when you see those themes, sometimes you're like, oh, my God, why, what are they doing? Like when Carson Wentz had a touchdown pass like that last week. Oh, yeah. That was just so beautiful. It was just And beautiful. it befuddled half the NFL. It was like, I've never seen anything like that. Because and, it was, I mean, they got to leaving those guys on a pump fake that they threw in deep. It was insane. It's, so I, I, I think that's the frustration, but you are you're totally right about the – you know, the the running, the football thing. I don't know how they haven't figured it out. Keep the defense fresh. We got long ball Dixon. Let's, for offense, let's just not screw it up. Maybe we got to win this thing with field position and just grinding it out. Your goal should be to, if you're Texas, your goal should be to get as many, and not that this is the, this isn't the goal, but it seems like this offense really fights this at times. Your goal should be how many third and five or lesses can we get in a game? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, third and you know? five or less. I agree. They got third and long for you is suicide. Yeah, it really mm-hmm. is. And for for Texas, you just at that point now with third and long. Like for that you. should be your number one priority. We've got to get it third and five or less. We got to then 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 simplify that. All right, we got to win on first down. Turn in. We got to get three to four yards. That's where we're at with this offense. Just like small small victories. Like I said, mm-hmm. yes, this baby. So I I hope they're figuring that out, but I. To me, my the frustration with me is the offense hasn't really figured out who they are. They're still it's like hey, I, I, the media and all of the us list, us watching you know the games have figured out what this offense is, and yet week to week they're struggling to figure it out. So I, I think now they're getting close to it. Hopefully, versus West Virginia and Texas Tech, who teams that can score, they're prolific scores. You know you can't get in the shootout with West Virginia and Texas Tech, so you need to coordinate appropriately. 40 rushes or more. Yeah. You, know you know what this offense, <laughs> offensive staff reminds me of at times, Rod? Everybody's got a friend like this. The type of friend that you ask them what time is it, and they tell you how the watch is made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All the details. Yeah. Like, I just asked you what time I it just was. asked you why, what time it was, man. Why is this such a big deal? That's it. Uh, and Dan Neal had a great piece uh, on Horns 24-7 about kind of the O-line play and some of his observations. And, you know, there's there's a lack of creativity to a certain extent. He brought up the fact they – Sometimes they call the same plays almost back to back. Even if they work, like yeah. he'll go back to the same play. And it's like, well, well, you got to go back to it right now. You know what I mean? Like you get give if that play worked, that means you're probably at an advantageous point in terms of down and distance. So open it up a little bit. And I feel him on that. I noticed that too. I'm like, whoa, don't just go right back to it with the same personnel package. At least change up the formation and the personnel package and something. Yeah, but Shift that's it. what we've been talking dress, about. Like, window dress it on something a little differently, if man. You've, that, <laughs> that was the beauty of, like, Bill Walsh's offense. Like, if you figure out, okay, we're really good at running a tight inside zone. Yeah, we're running right, boom, okay. every time it's working. Whether like, it be if we got Shackleford in the game, we're uh, Shackleford and Valle, yeah. boom, we're running it right there. Then run it out of seven different formations. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's Put the, some guys in motion. Add funk to it. That's that, like, yes. like, well, we we're, talked we're, about what they did with Zeke in that championship game. Like, yeah, it, exactly. They literally did that. Exact, he talked about doing thing. that with them and like six different times. I don't know if this has been shared, but I'll share it at this point. So I talked to somebody that had knowledge of Tom Herman, went down and met with Nick Saban, I think, after that mm-hmm. game. And Nick Saban would go, what the hell did you guys do to us? And they broke down the film, and it was Tom Herman telling Nick Saban, we're doing anything fancy. We're running split zone. We just ran out of nine different formations. Yeah, you found the uh, what is it? The the thermal exhaust know, port zone or whatever. But yeah, yeah, you found a thermal exhaust port in the uh, damn in my Star Wars now knowledge is off. Uh, uh, the guy next in the Death Star, right? Yeah, in the, the, the Death Star, they, they had one weakness, right? So Alabama doesn't have a lot of weakness. You better find that one weakness, and then you better figure out a way to not only exploit it but to blow it the freak up. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. to have it collapse the entire infrastructure of that team, and that's what. 
you got to do versus really good teams. You got to find those two or three little weaknesses, whether it be a matchup thing, mm-hmm. whether it's a schematic uh, error on their part. And that's what a coach's job is to do. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what coordinating is. <laughs> that's why I think when <laughs> going, going back to the Texas defense, that's why I think if 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 you're Dana Holgerson, if you're Cliff Kingsbury, and you're looking at Devontae yeah. Davis and Chris Boyd, you're thinking, man, we're going to hit him with rubs, we're going to hit him with picks, we're going to hit him with double moves. Because if you give these guys a lot to process, they can't process they can't. it fast And remember, we said that against USC when Sam Darnold faced it. was like, man, why didn't they go after Chris Boyd early? I would have mm-hmm. started off the game just kind of chugging it deep and, you know, double moves, and they never did that. And it was like, well, that was just a bad game plan on their part. You know what I mean? Like, we, because we know this team, and I agree with you, I think against West Virginia, and I know we're not previewing yet, we're going to get there. I, I think that is going to be the weakness ultimately for the Texas defense. Don't be surprised if you see one of the worst performances by the Texas defense versus West Virginia only because – you are vulnerable at both corner positions. Yeah. Um, and that's Holgerson's it. the type of guy that it's, thrives it, on attacking yes. those type it's, of things. It's one of those positions that's really hard to cover up. It's hard to cover up a weakness when mm. both your corners are. Now, now, because well, now, you now, can't now, shade to one or the get, other. If you, get, if you get Dr. Jekyll instead of Mr. Boyd or Mr. Boyd to Dr. Jekyll, whichever one you want to say, then you might be all right because then Chris Boyd will be playing at a really high level. But even when he plays at a high level, as we said, it's inconsistent, so he may give up a big touchdown. I, I think that's going to be the Achilles heel for the Texas defense for the rest of the year. If Todd Orlando can scheme around that, hell, man, somebody need to give that man either that's a raise. Hard to scheme around though, Rob, that's part of the got, scheme. Yeah. In the Big 12 it is. And yeah. But you got a pass rush, though. You do have you a do. pass rush. And that's a big thing. So you get, if you can get there before they can exploit you, which is going to be tough, too, because West Virginia's got a pretty good offensive That's line. why you got to get yeah. in the situations, and that's why the run defense is so key. Because it is. if the run defense eliminates that, then it allows you to be aggressive and understand that you can bring the pass rush. You cannot and allow them to be balanced. It's a race at that yeah. time because, yeah, if you give him any time, he's going to pick yeah. us apart. We talked about the holes yeah. in the secondary. But if that clock is on your defense's terms and you're able to get there in predictable downs and do it in four that's seconds exactly right. or less, then you can go and attack them. And that's the one thing when you look at West Virginia and recent years we always talk about this passing this explosive offense but when I remember back to losing up there a couple years ago or even losing here at times they've ran all over they Texas the so that's the big issue is if the run defense can keep doing what they've been doing on the road in a hostile environment where it's going to be colder than you expect and all those type of things that's something that you'll be able to see in the first quarter. If you can't stop the run, it's going to be a long day. If you can, you're going to have a good shot. Defensive play calling is tough enough. If you can at least be able to make them mm-hmm. somewhat predictable, all right, third and long, they're going to throw the football. Life is a lot easier on you, and that's when Todd Orlando was at his best. And then so they, I agree with you. Yes, yeah, can be balanced. You, that's one thing. Whenever you go against them and say that you don't get the stop, though, and then they get you in a mismatch because they have your pass rushing downs on the field, and then they start running against you, and it can become a slippery slope if you d- yeah, just true. have a couple blown assignments or a few things can really cause a whole drive to go downhill. In that's, a that's usually against when Texas goes against dual threat quarterbacks or really mobile quarterbacks where they have to worry on third and long that it's still a fifty. 50 down, yep, like Kenny exactly. Hill, third and 17, gets 27 yards. So that's sort of that's when, and I, I, I don't think it's just a title under defense. I think Texas, no matter who the defensive coordinator is, any defense can be can be basically taken advantage of and exploited when you got a dual threat quarterback. That's the danger of those guys. So Will Greer can move. He has functional mobility, mm-hmm. but I don't know if he's one of those guys. So I do think Gary Johnson, Malik Jefferson being on the field uh, can mitigate that damage. And right. Gary Johnson, that's the one thing too. When he went down last game, I was oh, a I forgot bit about worried. that. that damn the, it! Damn talking about run stuff. Now I don't know. It doesn't look like that. he'll play, but they didn't say anything definitive. It's he just went, a stinger. He went non-contact in practice on Sunday, so and those are unpredictable. Those things. I forgot about. 
that. Yeah. Right, I'm going to go back to the offense big. real quick and talking about, you know, I know what Dan noticed that they run the same play kind of back-to-back. But that was a great call by Dan Daniel. To me, it's, it's, it's the inability to, like, build on, on what's working. We've and, been talking about that. And a perfect example. I was really surprised that they forced the issue with the run. Even though, yeah, it's Kansas, we haven't seen them force the issue with the run the way this staff did early. You go back and look at that five-play, 60-yard touchdown drive that ended with a Tennille Carter 23-yard run, that was all run plays. And that was Shackelford's first series, and you saw them getting movement, and it's like, wow, okay, they're going to be able to run the ball today. And first quarter rushing numbers, really good. 11 carries, 73 yards, 6.6 a pop. The problem was in the second and third quarters when you started passing the ball more and Shane Bush shows sack yardage and he's got to scramble because you're trying to move the pocket and really you've got away from what was working. Mm-hmm. 17 carries, 26 yards. Yeah. I just I, I don't understand like we were just saying. I don't understand why what the problem is if you can't take what's working and just kind of build on it. Just be like, okay, this is what we're good at. And if the other team stops it, then everybody knows we're screwed. But at least run it until they stop it. Well, my and, and, and I agree with you 100%. I would add on to that and say – also at the counterpunch. So when the team adjusts, which you, you're which supposed to did. inevitably. 17 yes. for 26 is not good. Exactly. Every team is going to adjust. They, this, Coach Brown would say, hey, they're on scholarship too. Uh, and their coaches are paid too. So they're going to try. They're going to do their best to stop it, um, whether it be to overload something or to roll right. the coverage, whatever. Coaches and when they do that, where's your counterpunch? Have the counterpunch ready. And that's what and I, I, I don't think they do a good job of self-scouting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I agree. Self-scouting. Like, I literally. Like, Bill Belichick's supposed to be the greatest self-scouter of all time. Like, he just, he, 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 he's thinking, which is you thinking three or four steps ahead of your competition. I guess the self-scouting thing is the chess of football. Right. Right. All right. All right. What do we do well? What's the team going to try to stop when we come in here? So what should we do? They're going to come in and try to stop the run initially. Hey, why not come out with the play action and just chunk it deep on them? Oh, there you go. That worked out really well for, you know what I mean? So the self-scouting, that was actually I want to say they probably did their best self-scouting job probably versus Kansas because it's Kansas um, of the year because they in terms of coming into the game because their first scripted plays actually are pretty good and they did not adjust well in the kind of coaching chess match with Kansas. That's my thing. Self-scouting, you know, they don't do it really well. Like you're supposed to know the, the counterpunch and have that counterpunch ready to go and they don't really do that really well. Right. So it's yeah, it's, I think it's just a chemistry thing with the coaching staff, man. They just don't – Tim Beck being added to this mix – he and Tom Herman need this bowl game because they just need to go on a romantic crew. They need a bromance mm. getaway together because they don't vibe. They're, they don't have natural chemistry. I would say the best radio I ever did was with Craig Way. But Craig Way and I have natural chemistry. Like We worked our tails off at it. You know what I mean? Like We just worked at it. Yeah. And Craig's so damn talented that it's hard to screw up with Craig there. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. being with Joe Montana or somebody, being with a goat. Like it's, it's hard. I just have to do my part. You know what I mean? And we worked at it and had great chemistry. My best radios I've ever done was him. But there were some guys I worked with I had natural chemistry with. Me and Brooks had really good chemistry because we had played together. Yeah. Me and Johnny Walker had really good chemistry because we, you know, it was kind of a brotherhood thing. Uh, me and AJ Hoffman, who was in Houston now, really good mm. chemistry I naturally. you and John Madani then. Me and John Madani. So, so I think it's differently, but you can still work at it. And I don't think Tim Beck and Tom Herman are working at this thing because it's just, you know what I mean? It's yeah. still, it's still, it still seems like it's just discombobulated and. I don't know. It's sporadic. It's like there's no groove to the offense. Even you know, even when they're in the groove, they take themselves out of the groove. Mm-hmm. I think the, the the frustration for Texas fans with this offense is it's no different really than the Sean Watson thing because when Charlie Strong hired Sean Watson, 
everybody questioned it. I questioned it. You guys knew I wasn't a fan of that mm-hmm. iron because there was nothing in Sean Watson's background aside from the couple years he had Teddy Bridgewater that led you to believe, I think this guy's a great, innovative offensive mind, and he's just going to come blow the barn doors off this thing. Yeah, you're right. And there's nothing in Tim Beck's background that suggested that he's a great kind of innovative offensive guy that's going to kind of bring this system along and, and be great. And I think the fact that they have struggled – Everybody that was publicly against it and said it was a bad hire and it didn't make sense, those people look right right now. Whether they are or not, it's I guess that's going right. to be determined in the long run. But everybody that had if if anybody was looking for ammunition against Tom Herman for that Tim Beck hire, they've got it now. And he's not making any changes, so right. You just guys got to deal with said it. That yeah, he said. Yeah, he said. Listen, if Texas beats the hell out of Texas Tech and they fire Cliff Kingsbury, then yeah, you better hire Cliff Kingsbury. Yes. <laughs> like that's. What, but I, I feel you right now. Unless you can make an upgrade, I don't see him. You know, breaking up the continuity. But, of it. Yeah. So it's just one of those deals that's just uh, that's where a lot of people's frustrations coming from. I agree. Then, they do look right. I agree and, with you on that. And it's the lack of it's the lack of growth. Even though you have had injuries and stuff, it's just is this offense really that much better than it was in week two, week three? Because even even when Connor Williams was on this offensive line, like we talked about. They weren't great running the football. Yeah, and I, I don't know. That first quarter, I tried to remember the numbers we looked at against USC with Warren and like how well Texas ran in that first quarter, and then right after the Connor Williams injury, it all went to crap, and it was all nope. just – I mean, we weren't it's, great, you're right, but they at least showed – Glimmers of hope with him, but yeah, they not a good unit overall. Yeah, it wasn't dominant, of course, with no. Connor Williams, but he coming back, even though he's going to be at start of the season form. Let's be honest with this, right. he's coming off. He's not going to come back like in all American form, and he's in all American. He's still the probably best player on that O line, even coming back at just season, you know, season beginning form. Uh, I'll say this, you know, much like with a shutdown corner, you get one good shutdown corner. It allows you a lot of flexibility and freedom in that secondary terms of the way you're calling things and the way you can shift and roll things. Same thing if you can just get one solid anchor on that O-line. And, you know, he can he can make other guys better on that O-line. That's one thing about the O-line. You get one solid piece there. He can make the guard better. He can make the, the center better because he can alleviate some of their responsibilities. So, yeah, I think it can have an impact. I'm against the move, by the way. I think it's a bad move for him. I think it's a bad business decision um, for him to come back. I just don't agree with it. I think he should – since all the mock drafts that I've seen still have him being drafted into the top 10 or 15, I think he should just go that route and get healthy. But that's just me coming from the brotherhood. I want him to go get paid for his reps. Mm-hmm. But I do think he will make an improvement on the O-line. It can't hurt the O-line. No. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so by us. Haven't had an NFL guy right? in a decade. By yes. osmosis, it will just help the O-line. I mean, hell, just him being available, I'm sure, will be a spiritual yes, right. uplift for that O-line. And then it might be the best O-lineman in the country. You're, so, you're going to have – this is the best your offensive line is going to look because, honestly, Connor Williams Good at time. 60% is better than Tristan Nicholson or Denzel Okafor at 100%. No argument right here. So Williams, Vahe, Shackleford to be back in the mix, which based on what we saw against Kansas, it's time to go ahead and make that move again and, yeah. and put Shackleford back in the lineup and with McMillan at, at right guard. And then Derek Kerstetter, who Dan Neal said it, pro football focus backs it up. Derek Kerstetter's played some really good football the last few weeks. I know. Last week he graded out better than any lineman in, I almost want to say the Big 12, but definitely on the team. 
He's uh yeah, you I mean he's just a sec, he's, man. Are he's you light. Is TCU or for the KU game? Man? Uh, I think KU. He uh, graded out really if high. If I heard people talking about just him. Just a second. Yeah, well, to have a freshman come in and like that, just the expediting know, the learning process. I know process. He, had, uh, well, he had one of the top ten grades on the entire on the entire and team. And from that everything that right. I've heard about Kerstetter, his seventy eight point nine. Ch- mm-hmm. From what I think I heard about him, his challenge is you know not an ability one. Uh, but one of this kind of physical, like he just need, he's, he's got a little bit, he's got a little kid body still. He doesn't yeah. have a grown man body yet. They got to pack some weight on him and get some grown man. Kerstetter to me is a, yeah. uh, it's a more like a more nimble version of Josh Cochran. That's who it reminds me of. Same yeah, kind of mentality. Yeah. Like saying, similar skill Yeah, he's a technician set. more yeah. so than just a brute force type of yeah. lineman, which is, I, I don't mind technicians. I mean, you can do it but different types of ways. But I think he's a guy, Rod, that can end up playing all three spots. I mean, we saw him in the U.S. Yeah. Army game, snap at center. Yeah. And he was really good at guard. That's why, you know. He's very had, athletic. They had to put him in tackle because you, you didn't have any choice. You just don't have to say you out of necessity, I think, yeah. they put him there. So, but I mean. You, if there's a silver lining to all this, it's that your right tackle position for 2018 is probably looking not too bad. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm with. I I think the O line may end up looking. I'm not saying this. Um, competent versus West Virginia if Connor Williams comes in and he plays at just his close to his baseline, and I don't even know where that is, but not his ceiling because he's just starting to come back what, off that injury, but just his baseline. What do you and guys think? Be oh, go ahead, Matt. Sorry. Oh, no, and just on Kerstetter's number, he narrowly missed out on the Big 12 uh, team of the week. He was two points off behind the K-State tackle, Dalton okay. Reisner, but it was Jake McMillan who got on the All-Big 12 team and also Kendall Moore. So if you combine Kerstetter, that's three of the Kendall six Moore, guys yeah. as three of the six best blockers in all of Big 12 and this past week were on the Texas line. And then on the defensive team, Jason Hall, Deshaun Elliott, Brecken Hager, Puna Ford, Emily. Five of the eleven on the All Big Twelve team were Longhorns uh, against Texas. Kansas. From PFF, Jason Hall graded out as the top safety in the country. Yeah, ninety point one. Yeah. Deshaun was played right uh, twenty one personnel too in offense, which I liked with the H back. Yeah, role for Chris so that's Warren. kind of what I want to get y'all's opinions on. Um, what do y'all think about the move of Chris Warren to H back? Rod, I know I, I agree with you one hundred percent. I love it's, it. It's great. It's, if he can help you, I'd rather him help you than. Just be a guy on the sideline, maybe soaking or whatever. And we talked about the two back sets that we may start to see last week when we saw the snap counts starting to overlap the numbers. And it was like, oh, they're being inventive. They're changing stuff. Let's pay attention. And now we see him there. So it's just a good way to give good looks, more noise for the defense staff to think about. And then it may actually be able to be successful when you implement it. Give you a numbers advantage in a running game. uh, Make teams respect that more. Opened up some of the play action for them, too. And they threw a deep max protecting with that group as well in the 21 And throwing to Warren. Yeah. We uh, we got to give props to uh, a friend of the show because he was on my recruiting show when I was across town. Rod, you've known him for a number of years. Antoine Davis is playing hey. by far the best football of his career. I was happy to see. And it. honestly, man, if you if you look at the pro football focus grades, the performance level Texas is getting from Antoine Davis is a significant upgrade from what PJ Locke was giving him. Uh, Antoine Davis, yeah, only only two hundred nine snaps on a year, but his overall grade seventy nine point two. Uh, he's probably sl- slightly below average as a run defender, but in coverage, seventy-eight point nine by on the PFF grading scale. That's bordering on very good. That's, well, that's and a those high grades, when you look at them, and when you have mistakes and holes, that that's what lowers your right. grades so much. So that's sort of what good way for us to look at these players and individualize what we see whenever you see a blown coverage and those things. That's what these actual yeah. grades are interpreting on a zero to one hundred scale. Hmm. And then PJ Locks grade on four hundred seventy three snaps, forty four point eight. Yeah, coverage the overall. Overall, that oh. better. Coverage it'll is, be better in coverage. Coverage is a forty six point one. Not much. Damn. 
you know, run defender, 51.6, pass rush, which doesn't really count. Actually, that is bigger for the nickel, uh, 51.4. So he's either below average wow. or Wow. I mean, so, yeah, I wonder if P.J. will get his job back. Well, at this point, it's it's will he physically come back this year? I mean, he, he more is he like, still most, on, is he most, not he's, available he's for the West Virginia? He's definitely out for West Virginia. Okay, so then you figure coming back on a short week, you just maybe hold him out until the bowl game. I agree with Hopefully you. Hopefully, you get there. Yeah, because you definitely want to put him out there as a liability against West Virginia or Kansas, unless you. Well, Texas, and, and sorry, West Virginia. Unless Texas you need Tech. the body to get well get to it, a bowl game too. You know, well, now with the way in, now with, true, that, with those stats, you're good. It's like, hey man, yeah. you're good. Matter of fact, you you need to you need to stay out and rest. Agreed. Up. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you on that. But so yeah, if you need depth, though, these are the two teams we may need the depth there because we. Well, you still got Jason Hall for manufactured depth, and you got John Bonney to manufacture depth who can play corner and safety. I and would still venture to guess, snap count wise, that Davis is he did he play every single snap at Nick? I believe. Because oh. I mean, that's going to be something that if he does that three, if he does that three consecutive weeks, that's going to be a ton of snaps for a guy. Now, hopefully, if he, if he does, he hadn't saying, played in three years. Yes, <laughs> just like, he hadn't played since 2015. I just looking at the way that our coaches have used snap counts because they're really big in all across sports is being more potent in less snaps. It's the same thing in the NBA. No, I agree, but and just saying that we that may be something to watch that. That grade may yeah. not sustain once you do that play that many snaps that many in a row for three weeks Give against me a good passing. Well, it gets better competition. Exactly. Too. Yeah, I think that's more of it. But you're right. I mean, that's. I don't yeah. Know. No, I mean, if he's better, he's going to be on the field. It would be just nice that if we, there was depth behind him, I just hadn't even looked to see if anybody else played behind him because then getting a guy back like Locke, if available, can be good to have because you're going to need that depth if you're going to be able to beat Tech. The uh, internet's not cooperating here, real quick. If you give me just Damn it. a sec. No, it's all oh, good, uh, man. We happens can... all the time. I've got his snap numbers here. Mm. Uh, of course, I didn't chart them there. Um, I'll find it. But, anyway, is there anything you guys want to discuss about the Kansas game? Anything left over before we um, talk a little bit of West Virginia and then close it? Uh, field goal kicking still is bad for Texas. Look, here's the issue. So, and I, you know, I'm which glad is also Brian something Davis that's been brought it up at in, all, in a yeah. press conference. Everybody likes making binder jokes. What the hell is Tom Herman supposed to do? No, he's got nothing to give. He has two kickers, Phil. and according to him, they kick yeah. well in practice and they try to make chaos and the kids basically just yeah. I mean, you're crap really the bed when they joke under pressure. You, you, you really we are at the point where, yeah. you know, unless you get inside the 30, you're pretty much in four-down territory. Yeah, I agree. And they're not even great inside. I mean, well, at least if you're looking at Josh Rowland, he's not he's not he's inconsistent everywhere. It doesn't matter. Right. And this is like matter. the worst position because yeah, it so, can only avalanche in the wrong direction. Like we saw recently, Robert Aguayo was the best college kicker people would say they maybe have ever seen. Yeah. He's taking around draft pick and then like when you're already an outsider, you're the one guy on the team that doesn't fit in and you don't do anything and then you start to fail and you already aren't good with dealing with pressure and it really head. oh it but you could see how obviously it's became an issue yeah. at Texas for years it's been this way since the Ferris stuff 75 snaps I mean, Nick Rose, last week man. oh damn that's a lot of snaps that's good though that means I mean that's all you got but yeah I mean I just and, and you know I know Tom talked about I think I forgot what the scenario was they had like a fourth and six at like the yeah plus 39 and it's like what, what do you what do you do Go for it. You know, it's yeah, you kind of have to. Right? Yeah. He's, yeah, he's he's screwed no matter where what situation is. So that's part of your 
offensive issues you have in terms of putting points on the board that he can't count on that. You can't even you can't even so it's making things tougher on Tim Beck because you're just like, all right, you know what? You're calling plays like, whoa, I don't want to give up my three points to try to right. get six points. And for Texas, you don't even have that option. Yeah. Right? You know what so I mean? we got a couple of minutes before we got to do picks and get out of here. But I, I, I want to translate to just talk West Virginia for just a minute. Defensively, Rod, this is going to be as tough a test as Texas has had all year because when no you question. look at the numbers, Will Greer, as efficient as he is, as good as West Virginia is throwing the football, they got a guy who's closed in on a thousand yards rushing, mm-hmm. Crawford. So I mean, he's yep. I think at eight ninety nine going into yeah. the game, and they got a, gr- a good receiver. Yeah, now they get it. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's going to be another week where I feel like we ask this every game: Can this offense score enough points to give you a chance on the road, too? By the way. On the road. On the road. So that's that, that, that adds to the miss because you, you say your running game travels. Well, Texas doesn't have a running game. So right. what the exactly. hell is going to travel worry, for? Worry about that <laughs> I don't know what's going to travel for Texas offensively. Like, that's what I worry about. What the hell do they have in that uh, that bag of theirs? Wildcat. Uh, yeah, there you go. So Justin Crawford, by the way, does have 899 yards rushing. Yeah, and he could end up breaking 1,000 versus Texas. I mean, he could. Yeah. <laughs> All he needs is 101 yards. Um, yeah, my thing is I, I think it will be the biggest test for them offensively. They just Texas can't afford for it to become a shootout, so they got to help out their defense a little bit. That means keeping that offense on the sideline, keeping Will Greer on the sideline. Within this Hank Hogerson system, Will Greer is probably, probably playing, and I agree with Tom Harmon, as well as Mason Rudolph or Baker Mayfield. Not saying he has the ceiling of those players, but within this system, he is extremely confident and comfortable. And Todd Orlando's got to find some way to kind of upset that equilibrium for them. So you make them one dimension, you take away Justin Crawford, and that seems crazy to put it in the hands of Will Grill, but that's when the Texans will be able to adjust and they can force turnovers. Hell, if Texas can turn over Baker Mayfield, they can turn over almost anybody in the country. Yep. Right. I mean, that's true. That And that they'll do that without Holton Hill, but I think they can do that. I mean, it was like literally nobody else in the country had done that yeah. to Mayfield till Texas. Because Todd Orlando throws those funky looks at you, man. If you can make Mason Rudolph non-existent, you can probably do that with most quarterbacks in the country. You are missing Holton Hill, and Holton Hill is a big part we of that Oklahoma that. State game. Yeah, so it's man, it's a tall order for for this defense. And, and offensively, you are facing one of the worst run defenses in the country against West Virginia. Yeah. So I think it go and and this is something we haven't talked about, and we got to talk about it here because we got to address it before we get out. The quarterback situation. What do you do there? I think it's a Sam Ellinger week because I think your best option is focus on running the football, shorten the game. I don't think I don't know if a high percentage passing in Rod like we talked about with Shane Bouchel. I don't know if that's your best option this week. I think having and not just running Sam Ellinger, but having the running threat at quarterback to maximize what your backs can do. I think that's probably the best plan you I, got this I, week. I ain't gonna lie, like if I'm here, if I'm Tom Harmon, I save Sam Ellinger for Texas Tech. Yeah. Make, make sure play you him. get your I give, one. Yeah. Make yeah. sure you gotta I get him one my, win. I don't want to get hurt again, so I I I'll give him <laughs> more time to recover, more time to rest. Inner ear issue, whatever the hell that is. You mean a brain issue? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I'll give him more time to recover, and he can play against an opponent that an opponent that I know we're better than or we're as good as, and then he'll more likely to beat them against West Virginia, who's a physical football team on the road. I could see something crazy happening with Sam has to leave the game again knocking on wood but I don't want that to happen so if I'm gonna waste Sam if I, if I need my one I'm saving my one for tech I, I ain't giving you. up my one versus West Virginia I, I, might get beat, I might get beat versus West Virginia with Sam in there too I would I, love for coach to actually because my defense that. is so bad at least Texas Tech you're playing two bad defenses <laughs> you know Ma- two, imagine this, no, yeah, there's no right. way Tom Harmon's gonna admit that no but no, I'm the, just saying, my the point reasoning is against, totally valid yeah my point is against West Virginia your defense may be suspect anyway you don't know right now. Yeah, you know I think I mean? could that be could that be a deal, Rod? Where maybe you plan on playing him, and then maybe if it's 
you know, for this offense, hell, like 21-3 in the third quarter, might as well be 56-3. to Maybe at that point you decide, you know what, He's, Shane, go ahead and finish this game, and we'll just we'll live to fight another day next Friday. I, I think this is Shane's game, and if Shane don't win it, and Texas gets her bowl game, then Sam, it's your time for. Matter of fact, I tell, I would tell both of them that, not, and I wouldn't tell them like in front of each other, but I would tell both of them individually. I say, Sam, you need more time to recover. Versus Tech, if Shane don't win, you got you got to start the show game. You might as well start watching Tech film now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because I got to make a bowl game. I if it. I don't do that, I, I failed it. as a coach. But I'm at the sorry, same time, I'm like channeling no, Tom Herman here. No, <laughs> at the same time, though, I think Tom Herman's looking at the big picture. And if you beat a ranked team on the road, that gets you to six. Tech gets you to seven. Then you're thinking, okay, if I get the bowl game with eight. And you think about this team with all the issues we talked about. I agree. They still got a chance to win eight games, right? I agree. That is true. amazing well, for this we know program and this coach. team. Herman's going to try to win, but your reasoning makes total oh, no, sense. I and totally he agree still with you, may do that, yeah, but he right? still may also try to win. Like, it's, it's like that's a tough situation no, to be no, put no. in. I'm I still love trying it. to win. I'm just saving Sam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. I'm, trying I'm saving to win Sam. Both. I'm saving Sam against Clay. But I mean, and they baby. even fit, though. Like, you normally on the road, you're playing from behind. You're a dog. You need a veteran. You need a guy to throw into the game. They both sort of fit. And then you can always bring in Sam if you need it. But yeah, it, that's an interesting dichotomy or a situation to be put in. It is, actually. Now, I, I just randomly threw that out there, but now I think about it a little bit more. You're right. I don't know. That's why that's how I would do as a coach, but that's why I'm not a coach. <laughs> I would be thinking yes. two games ahead. We I'm get to, to hear talk game. and ponder and then not have to deal with any of the ramifications of our actions. Oh, All right. It's time to uh, do some picks yes, and yes. Uh, review what was an awful oh. week for me last week. I did yes. the shorts Man, last week. Man, yeah, you did because you you had came back, Jeff, the week before. You went 4-1. Yeah. and one. You were steading fast. You were close within. Uh, Rod yeah, had got within two of me. It was 28-17. and 17. <laughs> My record, Rod, was 26-19. and 19. And Jeff had got all the way up to 24-21. and 21. Then he went 1-5. and five. <laughs> So now, <laughs> yes, and we both went four and two. I took it the short. Yes, so I'm 32 and 19, That's and Jeff's right down there. at 25 and 26. That's but brutal. I'm we, under 500. Man. Yes, yes. That's, that's brutal right I'm like there. Like Texas man. in the whole decade. Just yeah. like crash in November. <laughs> well, first game we can look at, this is going to be Aggies. Big game for Aggies. Going to take on the Grove and Ole Miss. Ooh, Who you got? This is interesting. Uh, there's already, actually, we're, as we're on Ooh, the air, man. there's already rumors starting to circulate that, uh, not that it's a surprise, oh, but that they're already working on buyouts and whatnot. Um, A&M at Ole Miss. Mm. <sighs> I'm going to go with A&M. I'll go with AM because I think maybe they found a little A&M. something at quarterback with, with Yeah, I will go with AM. I'm I'll going go with, with AM on the road. Yep. I don't think I think Ole Miss is a dumpster. I'm gonna go with Ole Miss at home, just going with the home team. But stay, going over to the Big Twelve, TCU at tech. Who you got? TCU. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm going home. Is it at night? Yeah, I think it's at night at oh, tech. That no, actually no, it's, an 11, it's an eleven a.m. Oh no, oh, it's no. even worse. Everybody is it on. Everybody's like tech ain't playing at night. Yeah, they got no shot. All right, I'll take TCU also. What about this one? You got Harbaugh versus Wisconsin. Who you got? Where is this game at? Man? Wisconsin. It's at Camp Randall. Um. Mm. Man, give me Wisconsin because I. I'll it's go a Wisconsin. Big, it's a Big Ten game, so nobody's having offense. I just don't think Michigan can score. I'm going Wisconsin, Doug. Yep, I'm going to have to go Wisconsin at home too, and then I guess we go. I mean, not some good games this week, but UCLA versus USC. Who you got? We always end up with a UCLA game on the schedule for some. Yeah, I get reason. down to the bottom of the UCLA. list and have to pick one. Uh, give me um, USC. 
Yeah, I'll take USC. I'll do the same. Roland then- Jones playing really well. Oh, by the way, yes, folks, I know it's Ronald, but the Charlie Strong recruiting letter. Always That's what we called him. And then he <laughs> scored a TD right before after. All right, yeah, so now right. on to Texas Tech and West Virginia. You mean Texas and West Virginia? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take West Virginia, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong. I Matt, what's the that. spread on this? Oh, right this now? one was a dangerous one. It went. It was at three. And that's one where normally bookies want to stay. When it gave the hook, and now it's three and a half, it's enticing the public to take Texas because they feel West Virginia will cover. So, yeah, yeah I don't uh, like it. Um, I'm going to take West Virginia, man. I, I just, you know, this Texas defense without Holton Hill, I just can't trust them that, yep. that, they'll, that the dam won't break at some point. And I don't trust this offense, man. I just don't. I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to sit, come in here next week and talk about how wrong we were, but – Rod, I can't, I can't, can't go with this offense. And on the road versus West Virginia, man, I, you know it's one of those games I can see field goal. You know, it being a field goal game, or you know, it being a tight ball game, and Texas doesn't and have that advantage either. Yeah, exactly. So I think Texas defense is just too much of a disadvantage, at a disadvantage because of the loss of Hill. I agree with you. Yep, fully agree too. I think it's going to be West Virginia by about a touchdown. I'll say uh, thirty to twenty-one. I think it could be a more low scoring than that. I think like seventeen to seven. Ooh. Ooh. You should bet the under. The over under is like fifty five. Yeah. yeah. I'll go thirty one to seventeen, West Virginia. Yeah. Oh, Rob B predicting a little bit of a blowout. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know if I, I hope it's I hope I'm wrong, but yeah, Texas. I think I I just got a feeling this game could look a lot like the TCU game. Yeah. Except I think Texas does have a chance to shorten Pretty it bad. because West Virginia's not very good against the run. Mm-hmm. So all right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Matt, appreciate everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., thanks for the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 104.9, the Horn AM 1260, hornfm.com, and the Horn app, our over-the-air partners. And you can get this podcast each and every week on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. And thanks to Matt, you get us on iTunes, tune in any podcast app. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.